0: Welcome to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading it. Uh, We've been having a good string of excellent guests recently, and it continues this week with Leonard Allen from Solera talking to us about global energy trends with uh, with respect to solar energy specifically. Uh, All that and more, of course, as usual. If you appreciate the program and uh, are able to and wish to uh, support us financially, you can actually become a Green Majority member. You can do that at patreon.com slash Majority. P A T r e o n dot com slash green majority recommended donation is five dollars but we will accept uh anything the the uh the slate is blanked for you to put in what you uh what you're comfortable with and what you desire uh we would appreciate it no matter what uh please consider doing that and enjoy the show
1: To the green majority uh, I would like to say that a hurricane knocked out our, our, our feed but I feel like that is likely incorrect hopefully incorrect at in the it's, very least it's plausible yeah, it, there's a, at least a possibility in which uh, in which it's happening. Uh, th- th- also, apparently, uh, Saren's mic has also been knocked out by the same technical storm that is happening here uh, at CIUT 89.5 FM. How are you feeling now, Saren? I'm feeling much better. Ah, there we go. Yeah, what I was saying with Stefan is that it's plausible. It's pl- it, it,
0: it, there are enough hurricanes apparently in the Atlantic Ocean that one of them could be hitting us right. That's right. Well, and and that's sort of the theme today. So, of course, uh, you are listening to the Green Majority. Uh, we're here live at CIUT 89.5 FM. We're also on a a wonderful assortment of community radio partners uh, across Canada as well as internationally. Uh, and of course, our podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. And what we're going to be talking about today, well, we have a few things we're doing. So I'm just going to lay out the show as usual. Uh, and then as usual, Stefan's going to start us off. So uh, of course there is continuing, um, I, I was thinking about naming today's show the other weather, weather channel, but I feel like that's <laughs> like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to just need that again. So right, I feel yeah, like yeah, I shouldn't, you gotta I shouldn't save that, that one yet.
1: Yeah. That one's going to be a good
0: one. Uh, cause we'll, uh, you know, we'll have to come back to that, but really, I mean, as we predicted last week, this is not, that wasn't an isolated story, uh, talking about Harvey, of course, we already knew Irma was coming at the time. So we're going to just sort of more. I feel like it's just going to become a regular part of the show. And uh, just to talk about the extreme weather and the damage that's going on and the obvious connection to climate change. Uh, but that's not all we're going to talk about this week. We also have Leonard Allen uh, coming in from Solera Energy, who is an uh, international solar energy expert. Um, and he's going to talk us to us about uh, global trends and such. Uh, he'll be live in the studio in the, in the middle section. And then the end of what we're going to do, because like uh, – you know, a lot of this, I, I do a lot of thinking as I'm reading stuff throughout the week, and and one of the things I was thinking about this week is how, due to this, due to the fact that extreme weather is now so obviously here, like it was already here, but the fact that it's as we were talking about last week about how it's so undeniably here. Um, you know, you really have to be crazy or being willfully, you know, paid to be willfully ignorant to really deny the connection at this point, um, even if you're not aware of the, you know, the intricacies of it or the details of it. And so this really has to this this creates a response, I think, as far as the part of the rhetoric. So we're actually sevens uh, going to help me play a game. Uh, at the end of the program, is essentially going to be a rhetoric lesson, which is like how to apply, essentially how to apply this in arguments, not friendly arguments, because uh, we've talked about that, like how to sort of be accessible and communicate in a way that's like, this is for those other times. This is for when you get a politician in a room and you they have to talk to you for five minutes and there's a camera on you. Mm. Um, this is how you really embarrass them for the sellouts that they are, uh, because that's the mood I'm in today, Stefan. Mm. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm right. just disappointed. <laughs> But that's at the end of the program. Why don't you go ahead? You're going to start us off with some. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about actually some possibly good Energy East news, as well as some uh, some ener- uh, some hurricane weather. So and yeah. up and a down. Yeah, there we're you go. Both directions.
1: Uh, so so yeah, the the Energy East news actually is is positive, and I, I and I want to use this as an opportunity or as I, to jump – get into it occasionally. Uh, right before uh, I show up to this um, to the show, something happens in my life that that gives me a good segue, and every once in a while, I I, I try to bring that in. This one. More often than not, this is how it feels like doing environmental good. Is that I went to a coffee shop on the way uh, on the way into work this morning, and you know, brought my handy, you know, just like the reusable coffee container that I that I often bring, and 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 I was uh, ordered a coffee. I, I gave them the reusable coffee container, uh, and they they made the full coffee had it po- originally had it had, had eventually the barista had made the entire coffee in a, a disposable cup realized their mistake at the end poured it into my actual cup and then immediately threw away the coffee the, the, the disposable coffee container <laughs> uh, which to me felt like a a, a a metaphor for how a lot of this work feels like you know you, right. you, can, yeah. do, you can do all yeah. of the things that you think are right uh, and all of the things that sort of you know like oh I will I will not waste a coffee container uh, today and then just in front of you very Slowly, everything is undone, and you have to sort of sit there and be like, "Well, that's a shame." Uh, and and so and so with that being a general trend, I think it's important to call out when when there are successes, yes, uh, and when there are good things, and and so, so you can blow the dust off that woo button. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We exactly. We just that sad woo button. Uh, that especially Yeah, that's the real woo. Yeah. Uh, but so. What the story here is is that Energy East and, and TransCanada Corporation has actually su- is seeking to suspend the application for its Energy East pipeline for 30 days, uh, and have no- and the company has said that they may end up abandoning the project uh, after the National Energy Board announced t- a tougher review process and and by what they mean by c- tougher review uh, is as is is they are going to pay attention to climate change they mean a review <laughs> well it's a review of its up uh, of 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 its full implications right it's a it's, it's that's the that was the big thing that environmental been pushing forever is that the national energy board would assess these pipelines without thinking about the fact that w- what was going to be done with the oil right like the, what what the full implication is rather mm-hmm. than the sort of the, the very centric what will actually building this pipeline do uh, which obviously is 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 not a full review of the project. That's a, you're missing an entire percentage of this, and and so and so that with this news, the TransCanada Corp is like oh maybe maybe we don't want to try. It, they've been pushing it forever. It's been a fight. It's been a fight uh, over and over again that and activists have have really really pushed hard to actually try to stop this. And it is now what's amazing about this is that it is now possible that the, that that activists will manage to both get both Energy East. And northern gateway stopped, uh, which would have been unheard of, I think, in you know in, 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 in past. And so, you know, it this also comes on the backs of one of the reasons why. TransCanada is a little less uh, pushy about this, is because of the fact that Keystone XL has now been approved by the United states, and so there's 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 already a pipeline being built. Right uh, now, that remains still actually in contention. There, that that has not yet been built yet. There's still fights going on there. Um, but I think it's important to remember that even on those days or those times when it feels like you've brought your you you've been doing everything and you're still losing, you know, you're doing everything right and yet yet nothing is happening. Uh, that. Keeping that push, that pressure up does do them, th- do things like th- th- it is working.
0: And, well, and, and, and just to underline that point, I mean, there was in some circles, you know, uh, not necessarily organizations, but, you know, we, we have sort of one foot in with some environmental and uh, organizational connects and we have some sort of more community connections. So we hear things. Right. Uh, and uh, there was some discussion among some folks about like, do we have to pick one to fight? Right. Yeah. Right. So that's very, very interesting. That that sort of here's where we are.
1: Well, and and the fact that Energy East is now on the rocks, and Northern Gateway is is even more on the rocks. I would say with with the change of government in BC, that these are two projects that, with that, that had they been ignored, had this had, had this been a thing where in fact activists sort of let them let the slide, both would be would probably be already built. Let's be real here. Like and and so and so the the amount of review and amount of pushback that, that that's happening there uh, is uh, um it's like kudos to everyone who has been fighting this basically, you know, like you, I hope you spend at least the next 30 seconds cheering, uh, for yourself in it is not dead yet. There's a hot, they, they, all they're asking for is a, is a, is a pause and they want to do a review. Um, but, just the fact that that is happening it should be – any day you can delay more energy pipeline infrastructure is one more day for us to switch off this entire thing. Well, uh, and, so, and so just I hope the people who might, 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 might have woken up today feeling like they're, they're, they've been pushing and not getting anything, that this is a, at least one little, one little win that you can celebrate.
0: Yeah, and the, so the the specific line actually that sort of kicked off my idea that that uh, that we could play a little game at the end of the show today uh, was actually from this article. Uh, so it was it was walking on my way here that I sort of made the call on that. And uh, <clears throat> so there's there's two lines in this. I mean, there's many. The article should be read uh, because it's it's essentially it's it's a, a you know Reuters. I think that's how you say that. Yeah. I always get confused. Uh, a Reuters uh, uh, interview with the industry folks. So this is not like Greenpeace Canada's post or whatever. This is the sort of straight journalism, quote unquote. You know, the type of folks who who confuse objectivity with neutrality, Um, this is them interviewing uh, the oil company. And so this is sort of more, you know, they're talking more freely because they're not as worried about, you know, somebody throwing their words in their face, not realizing that I'm about to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's two lines here I'm just going to read out. So assessing indirect emissions has been opposed by TransCanada, which has has called it, quote, completely redundant and unnecessary. Hold on. We'll get one more and then I'll come back to it. Uh, the, uh, and then for a little bit further down, uh, Derek Lever, an energy infrastructure analyst uh, with whatever corp in Calgary, said what they want to do is halt the clock on it. And I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, assessing indirect emissions is, quote, really tough ask. So that's them tipping their hand. They forgot to tell you they forgot to they forgot to not say the thing they were thinking, which is that's a flat out lie. That's a flat-out lie. And the reason is that I can say that that's a flat-out lie is because it's based on the words that they used. And this this is the thing that informed me. It's like, let's talk a little bit about rhetoric today. So the word indirect is the entire point that it exists is to make a distinction between that and direct. And so the sentence, I've already counted direct, so indirect is redundant. Like that's a statement that even without any other information, it's, it's, it's internally inconsistent. It's a nonsensical statement regardless of the thing you're talking about. Well, it a- doesn't make sense. on its, it, Like it's, it's self-contradictory. You can't, it's like saying, well, I already counted the money I spent at McDonald's. Therefore, I don't have to count the money that I spent at five other restaurants because it's – and then calling that redundant. It is literally a literal flat-out lie. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a.
1: I, I would, I would counter that there's a possibility here that the answer of why they would understand it being redundant would be that the, um, the the idea of that, that the oil will be will be burned other ways, or or that there's that the, that this isn't a part of that, of that conversation. Or alternatively, actually, which might be even worse. But the point ways. is, no. But the point yeah. is,
0: it's not an industry assessment; it's a climate change assessment. So we're right. talking about climate change, and they're saying we've already counted direct, so we don't have to count indirect within the scope of climate change. That's a lie. Right. Yeah. Like if you were saying, well, we counted it and other things, or maybe we shouldn't, if you're saying, well, we shouldn't have to count it, like that's different. But saying it's redundant, they're saying we've already done this, and that is by definition not true. Right. Like, so the, the, the so there's an interesting question
1: there of whether or not, of exactly how that works, right? And, and what, like, the more, the more about, whether or not the idea is, look, we can already tell you how much this would be burned at the end of the day, in which case that assessment would already be done. Like, like if they already know how much how much oil is going to go through and how much the burning is going to be, then you can just basically be like, OK, it's this month. But that – now the question would be whether or not that should be included in the conversation. And there's two different pieces here. Like they might have already done all the work to know because it's not that difficult to figure out how much CO2 emissions will come from the, the, the oil that will get passed through, right? That's a – that's a – that's a calculation we've done thousands and thousands of times. You know, right. the the environmental industry has already done that for them. Like we they've already done the fact. They've already told you how many emissions – how many, what the climate impacts of this of this thing would be. Right. Like they've done the work.
0: And so like the only other way to the only other way that you can possibly try and interpret that if you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, which is like pretty much a stretch, uh, but is to say uh well no we know like and so, like the the only other way to read it is also not good Mm -hmm. um what it's basically saying is we already know that we won't pass these tests so if you're expecting us to pass them then we already know we're going to fail them so we're not going to try which is probably more truthful um but it's it's what you're saying is you know you're going to do this. what it's actually kind of worse like it's a more true statement but it's actually worse because what it means is we know that we're destroying the planet we don't care um, because that's someone else's problem. If you're going to make us actually like, account the thing that we're causing, then we don't want to build a pipeline, which means they already know they wouldn't pass, which means they already know how much damage they're doing. Uh, but I feel like you don't even need the
1: word pass there. And that it, basically the, the conversation could easily just be, look, we know what we're doing here. We all know what we're doing here. Uh, and so you know how much the ex like like you know it doesn't make sense for us to force us to include this because you know how much emissions are being re- reduced anyways, like are being ha- are happening anyways, right? So it's like a it doesn't necessarily have to be a well, we are ar- going to pass or not. Just know for them. Like honestly, if you're what's interesting about this conversation would be that if you were the Energy East or, or Trans Canada trying to make this case, <laughs> uh, and and a part of the conversation is well, look, there is this. Uh, what we're looking at here is a you know x amount of carbon being released in the atmosphere and you and i both already know that this is happening uh and so either i tell you in this report or i don't but really the conversation is whether or not you are willing to accept that or not right Right. like in the entire conversation what's interesting about this whole thing is that even as environmentalists who are pushing to get this included there's not like an answer that would have satisfied environmentalists. There's not like an answer in which they like, like TransCanada couldn't come back and be like, "Okay, look, I know that we we want to reduce, we want to release this amount of, uh, of 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 emissions through the oil that came through here, but we'll just use half the pipeline, so we reduce, we 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 emit less, less emissions." And right. that conversation isn't, that would not be enough. Like the, the what's interesting about this is that uh, there's a level of, I don't want to say. There's a level of unspokenness on both sides Mm. Uh, that the like the environmentalists are saying we want a full climate review with the subtext that you'll never pass uh, because obviously this is bad. And 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 in the and literally in the the energies, people are basically going to the to the government and being like, we don't want to do that. We already uh, know it's bad because we know it's bad and you know it's bad. So either you're saying no right now or you're making a bunch of work to later say no. Right. right and so the- so it's a funny thing that both sides of this argument to to the government are both We're both basically saying, I don't want this and I want this, but having this weird fight about whether or not we include climate impacts, which is a meaningless addition to this conversation. Like, I almost, in some ways, I almost agree with TransCanada that it's redundant because we do know. And the conversation is, do you want to emit this amount of emissions? That's always the question. Like, I don't, I don't see how the energy board could be, could, could come down on a side of like, well, if you're able to only emit this amount of emissions from the oil coming through, which is impossible, right. uh, then then it's okay, which is not a part of this conversation. It's either, yes, you are willing to further build infrastructure towards this, towards this generally destructive thing, or no, we're not.
0: Right, and it's and and so the uh, two things. And then we can we can move on because I didn't want to do the whole section about that. But there's sort of uh, so the one thing was that was sort of why I read the the other statement, which was assessing them is a really tough ask. So we all, th- as you say, I agree. That we know that they know it's bad, but they don't want to have to do the work, so they don't know the specifics. And it's because they know that it's bad enough that once they have the specifics, it, they know enough to know that it that it won't be good for them. But they, they don't so they don't want to have to pay to do the work that they then are quite confident they won't fail. So that's totally fair. And I guess what I mean uh, uh, just to clarify as well is that it sort of forces a lie. Somewhere. Somewhere, I guess, hmm. um, because uh, maybe not that statement, depending on how you want to interpret it. Uh, but there it forces a lie somewhere, because what that's saying is like you've made other claims that you're actually, you know, environmentally responsible. Right. So it's sort of it's sort of like one of their statements has to be a lie. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't have to be that one. Right. But it does. If this if we take the sort of this one, then something then the other stuff they're saying is a lie. Like there's there, it's impossible for all of their comments to be to be resolved. Without any of them coming into conflict,
1: right? What's interesting is that about about the entire existence of this national energy board, if in the context of climate change, uh, is that when you're looking at when you you talk about climate change, the conversation is there's not there's not a less emissions like. When you're talking about climate change with specifically around like emissions of oil, say, there's not a solution here where we just use slightly less oil and continue on. There's not like a – we don't have an option for that. That's not a part of the conversation. So the what's interesting about this entire – I feel like we're all just playing with these words and these, and these ideas around with the government and it's, all of it is sort of coming down into this conversation of like, look, either – you're like basically Transcanada to the government is being like, I don't think you're as serious about tackling climate change as you say you are, so you should let us build this and keep our, and and it will help the economy, blah blah blah. Um, and and then the other option is, I don't agree, uh, and I think climate change should be happened, and so you shouldn't do this. And mm-hmm. there's not what's interesting. One of these board reviews, I feel like, is usually they're trying to find like the nice middle ground. And when it comes to climate change and energy infrastructure, there isn't a nice middle ground. Right. You do or you don't. And That's the whole conversation. Um, and, and so, so it's, so maybe they won't is the good news here. Uh, I want to review, <laughs> I want to highlight one last thing before we, uh, before we go to break and then I guess yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll come, come back to the Irma week. in the, yeah. they in the second section. Yeah. Uh, but there's a little bit here in which uh, the very very last. I feel like this. What I find so funny about this Reuters article is that there's like two or three paragraphs talking about whether or not about oil futures, um, <laughs> and, and and how this has impacted oil futures, and then and then the very very end, uh, it just slicks in one. It's one sentence, and it's sort of is like, huh, okay. Uh, consensus the pipeline is up for its second NEB review after the first stalled last year amid protests by environmentalists and after re- revelations that regulatory panel members met privately with a Trans Canada consultant. That seems like an issue. It's, just, it's like it's like it's. Uh, I love this. It's like two paragraphs about about whether or not you know this will make you slightly more or less money, and then the very end is like also sort of undermining the entire regulatory process. That's just a thing they did, uh, and and we just happen to know that, and that was a part of the problem. Like that's not a part of the problem. That's one hundred percent ignoring the entire. Like it, it sort of voids the entire conversation if the NEB review makes any sense. If you are meeting privately with these consultants, it's it's like it's one of these things where it's like. Like there's an entire argument being made about why we should pay attention and why we should care about the NDB. And the very end, you're like, oh, also last year it was entirely undermined, and we only know about that from uh, excellent journalism. I believe out of the National Observer was the one who actually broke that story. And 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 so it's a it's news media that focuses on keeping the sort of the sort of I don't say myth, but the idea around all of these structures are are not. In some way compromised is is always weird to read because it always sort of reads like you're reading a slightly alternate reality. You know, it's in the same way that in the same way that the that the that the energy people are talking are talking sort of past the environmentalists and back and forth in the conversation of whether or not what the N E B is doing. There's sort of a whole third piece here, of it, which the entire idea of the National Energy Board is being undermined by the fact that they themselves are 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 being seen as being too close to the energy industry. And so it's like we can keep re- reporting on things like energy futures and uh and the neb mattering and then but also knowing at the same time that basically it's redundant you know because we there are reasons to worry about climate change outside of energy futures and there are reasons to care about the neb uh but also that they are a problem and it's just this weird it's we keep i feel like it'd be an It'd be maybe it would be a little more difficult place to live where we where people sort of more directly stated the things that they were trying to say, uh, but it would at least make some of these articles feel a little less like a- out to lunch. Like if we we need to have serious conversations about these things, and these are not the way to have these conversations.
0: So what you're saying is governments are being run the way that I got through the first two years of university, which is I decided what I wanted to write about and then looked up a bunch of books that already agreed with me. <laughs> I think, like,
1: it's, it's, I wouldn't say all government interests, but certainly that's, like, that's a problem that exists with humanity generally. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, Megan. He's going to give us a music break, and then we're going to be right back with Leonard Allen, who's the president of Solara Sustainable Energies com- uh, company, who's going to be talking to us about global uh, solar trends. Very interesting. We'll be right back after this music break. Um. All right. We're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country and into the United States and beyond as well, as well as our podcast listeners who are uh, listening to us via iTunes or our greenmajority.ca playlist. Uh, uh, We've been very good at getting guests recently. Uh, this has been a run. We had a few months of where it was literally just Stefan and I talking.
1: Yeah, so, so you're all welcome. I
0: guess, yeah, you're really. welcome. We have
1: other voices now.
0: We're, we're sparing you from no know more things than we do. Yeah. So our guest today, who is actually doubly benefited because I'm actually in the studio, I have a warm body in the studio, we really like that, so I can actually look at the person I'm talking to, is Leonard Allen, who's the president of Solaris Sustainable Energy's company. Welcome to the Green Majority, Leonard. Thank you, sir. Pleased to be here. Uh, so a little bit about you before we uh, sort of dig into it, as I did the preview before the music break there, we're, we're mainly going to be just talking about uh, pulling on your expertise on, on global trends, uh, specifically uh, having to do with uh, solar technology. I have a few other sort of fun questions as well for you after we sort of get through that. Uh, just people who know who they're listening to, you've uh, uh, been working in the solar uh, industry uh, for quite some time. You've been on the advisory board for the Ontario Partnership for Innovation and Commercialization. Uh, uh, had some government work mixed in there. You've been uh, uh, involved with the Canadian Solar Industries Association as a director and a vice president uh, and be living, I think most importantly, uh, part of your bio is that you've been living in a solar-powered home since 92. That's old school. Yes, that was before it was cool, Leonard. It was. It was not. It was. was, I thought it was cool. (laughs) <laughs> Spoken like a true uh, enthusiast. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so by way of introduction and by way of it being our topic, would you just maybe just – before we actually dig into what those trends are, can you just maybe talk a little bit more about uh, sort of where your experience lies and, and, and sort of meta-level uh, trends that we're looking at here in 2017?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. And what's, what's driven me? Uh, I, I love the whole notion of autonomy and having a certain degree of control over you know, your life. Uh, power, energy supply included. So back in the early days, I was the kid with uh, you know, an off-grid bedroom in my parents' house, car batteries, making sparks, doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, so it's, it's always driven me to experiment with technologies, uh, find ways to apply them, uh, go out there uh, around the world and learn what others are doing and, and bring you know, techniques, concepts, ideas back home. I did that for many years, Uh, you know, going to Europe and looking at all these fantastic uh, solar implementations, uh, you know, built into buildings and wonderful things. And here we were still putting a solar panel on a cottage roof. That's about as far as we'd gotten. And you were the talk of the town. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, this guy's got solar. Cool. Yeah. You know. um, so I, I decided to build a house. I'm up in the Durham region, and it was totally off grid for 15 years. I still live in the same house, and we we push our power back into the grid now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm driven by this. Uh, you know, fundamentally driven by the fact that this is a, a good, viable, important uh, technology for for society at large, uh, globally.
0: And so, before we get into more specifics, the, the most interesting thing for me, because you know we're we're Canadian based show, specifically Toronto based show, we, we spend quite a bit of effort not try, trying to not be Toronto centric, because we're we're very aware of the fact that we have international listeners and whatnot. Uh, but the thing that we, we like to talk about, but I am the most ignorant about, is like what it's like to not be in Toronto. Right? We're always we try and look out and we try and talk about stuff, but we're always still talking about it from the perspective of Toronto. So I think the the, the very first thing I'd like to specifically ask you about is about that sort of centricity as you've been moving around and working in the United States working in Germany, uh, touring Mm -hmm. other places and talking to folks. Uh, What what could you say about sort of the different... Uh, Not so much like the technological, like not the dollars invested, but Uh around the sort of the social attitude towards solar energy and its adoption and
2: how that contrasts from place to place. Yeah, sure. We've come late here, Uh, and you know, my travels in Europe back in the nineteen mid nineties and and Germany and Holland and other places showed that the public was well engaged with renewable energy. They'd seen wind turbines around for you know perhaps decades already. Certainly in Holland, of course. So they, uh, this was already part of their mindset: is that uh, there are other you know, natural ways of of generating power. And um, so people were more predisposed to just accepting it. Um, You know, the architectural community, the engineers, they were more open-minded. And uh, we would see these fantastic buildings with integrated solar, you know, 30, 40 stories high. Blew my mind back then. So they just did it. Mm. And, and, And here we're just at that point now.
0: Do you think like with so my, my brother's a contractor and went to architectural school and so I'm I'm curious uh, like what role do you think that plays in the adoption the fact that we're n- the fact that in a lot of places you're talking about as you say like it's actually integrated into building design and urban planning as opposed to just what it feels like is still mostly here which is tacking it onto onto stuff
2: yeah it gets it really in the public eye when it is integrated as part of a design you know proposal for a project and we've done some municipal projects where uh, key uh, in the uh, visual of the project is a an iconic solar piece. Uh, we we designed and manufactured a, a big solar sail in, in Ajax, a thirty foot tall solar generating sail. Uh, so unique things like that really capture people's imagination, and then they come to realize with a little more education that they can have something on their own home um, that allows them to have uh, a degree of autonomy, like I said, and control over their energy costs and um, and security. Mm. You know. And so, who who really do you think
0: are the the uh, the folks who have yet to—I mean, so if, I mean—you uh, you sell solar, you know. So in addition to your 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 educator background, you're also you also sell this stuff. So who who is sort of the prime target right now? Who are the folks who are not adopting? Who you think are the next wave, or is it uh, businesses are the big next opportunity? Is it working with governments? Is it is it still sort of focused more on on individuals these days? Uh, either specifically to you know Canada or or generally?
2: Yeah, this uh, this is a global thing, and that's a really great question because it uh, you know where we've come to today has been driven. Initially from grassroots movements, so business will do it for business reasons, um, and individuals will do it for for other reasons. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about Ontario for a second because how we how this really got a hold here in uh, in Toronto area where we are right now was through early efforts that uh, we undertook with Greenpeace. And there was a project in the um, early 90s undertaken by a Greenpeace in, in the Netherlands called Project Solaris. And this was a, a, um, a co-op, a bulk buy initiative that engaged hundreds of homeowners. They could all band together, get a better deal on products, and, and all feel part of a movement. And we uh, replicated that here uh, with Greenpeace. And we had about 35 homes that all had solar on their roof tied into the power grid. And that's the key thing. These weren't people charging up a, a car battery to run a light bulb. This was actually a bona fide power generator connected to the grid. And that's back in 1999-2000. And, and that's what's happened around the world is um, on a sort of societal level, people have come together and become part of a movement. And that's what drives it forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone like um, you know, you mentioned Google um, when we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. and others they'll they'll do these mass deployments. Uh, that that's great, but I don't think that's uh, as uh, m- meaningful. In spurring further, um, you know, public interest because people don't see it.
0: Well, it looks on it looks good on their public relations page, and and that's not to say that it isn't good, but it's sort of it's its effect can be limited. It doesn't
2: necessarily spur
0: on waves of other adoption
2: necessarily. Not as effectively as say something that's in my backyard. So I I would say get it in our backyards. We want it in our backyard. Um, You know, NIMBY is not an issue with uh, with solar. Hmm. Okay. doesn't make noise it doesn't move it just just sits there there's nobody complaining about headaches sorry it's a, no. it's a wind
0: power joke <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah yeah so i mean that's and, and I, i've confessed on the show to being a, a bit of an odd environmentalist in the sense that i'm also very very interested in technologists i've even gone so far as to as refer to myself as a technophile um, mm-hmm. but i'm just very interested in leading ed technology and in innovation and in doing cool things that we hadn't thought of before so i mean now we're at the place where sort of what's then thought of is the, the standard thing that people think of when they think of solar which is the traditional, you know, medium-sized panel that sits on somebody's roof uh, is generally what I think what most people in, in Ontario or Canada would think of because that's what we see um, globally but, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, but of sure. course, that's that's sort of that idea has been around for some time. There is yeah. still a leading edge that's ahead of that. So what are the what are the cool things we haven't seen or heard yet that you might have that you might have picked up?
2: Yeah, sure. So people like Tesla, we've probably all heard about their solar roof tiles now. Mm. Um, it's a fact that solar roof tiles have been uh, commercially available for um, better part of twenty five years. <laughs> I saw them twenty five years. ago in germany Uh, so you know the um people like tesla have really focused on the aesthetics they're very good at that and that's really cool so it doesn't just looks like a roof and a really good looking roof so that's that's important to um get the public perception that it isn't ugly it's it's actually you you know it's like a gold faucet you know it's the premium Mm. um so there's there's that um you know yeah, well, Like well, one of the specific things I
0: had in mind was that, you know, occasionally it'll cross my, my newsfeed and I never know, you know, a lot of these articles get put out in social media and you never really know what the source is or what the real story is. Cause so much of it is written to be provocative, but I've been seeing things about like translucent, like windows that can be solar generators and stuff like, are those types of things anywhere nearby or is this still sort of very like social media marketed, like future stuff that's still very much in the lab?
2: Yeah, they're available now and have been for quite some time. Right. Um, so when you come down to the mm-hmm. economics of it, is it cost effective mm. uh, to invest in that? So you know, why are you why are you buying it? Uh, buying this is it to be cool? To you know, or is it to save money? If it's the latter, that's a challenge. When you're into the more sort of esoteric applications like solar windows, mm. uh, they're low efficiency, they're costly. But that's all. You know, they're all coming down in cost as we go forward.
0: This is usually the part where I boot to cry. If only all those you know, oil subsidies just got diverted to renewable energy sector. Totally. like Just totally. that one thing. Anyway, we won't... Well,
2: you know, on that topic, though, it's interesting. Please. And, uh, we've, we've come to where we are today as a global industry, um, you know, to a great degree, free of subsidies. We haven't had the, the juicy dollars that the other guys have had. Uh, there have been programs like the Feed and Tariff Program, which have, have leveraged the greater utility ratepayer base to make investments – or not to make investments, but to, to set a stage so that others can invest and make a reasonable return on these things. It's you know, like a, a kickstart, you know. Um, but the, uh, the point I was going to make was uh, – what was the question again? Oh, was
0: it just about like a see-through, to like completely transparent yeah, solar so, panels and stuff like that?
2: Okay. So from the uh, perspective of economics, uh, what we're seeing now is, is far lower costs than ever before. Compared to 20 years ago, we're about a quarter of the cost now to implement a solar project on a house or a commercial facility. But on very large-scale projects um, that that, um, are operating under what's called a power purchase agreement, so the the developer would build, own, and operate a a, a generator and sell the power, not the actual hardware itself. Uh, It's a fact now that that power is being sold at rates that are lower, um, in some cases, than any other form of electrical generation five cents a kilowatt hour in the u.s and down at three cents in the um, you know the, you know abu dhabi mm. three cents a kilowatt hour for solar power
0: do you think something like we t- obviously we talk about a lot of politics on the show and I, and I i won't put you i won't ask you something that you can't uh, sort of uh, answer but just on that idea that like you know we do hear a lot of rhetoric around you know people like to blame oh so energy prices are high because you know we because of this policy to promote re- renewable energy and it's and it's all nonsense but do you think the do you think the idea that that maybe there was like that sort of like cachet chic around this is cool and it's new and it's good for the environment and it's sort of sexy, if you will? Um Is there a point at which then maybe that image becomes counterproductive because the fact that it is cheaper, like people still think of it as this new thing that's sexy and therefore that sort of baseline assumption that it must be more expensive has been, I think, hard to shake. Is that is that fair to say? Would you, yeah, do you have the same opinion?
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been hard to shake. That's a fact. Um, but it's being shaken, literally mm. uh, as we speak. And uh, so the you know, um, education and more awareness on the part of the public – question is, how do we best do that? Um, we feel community engagement is is a, mm. an important role. So, uh, back to the earlier projects we did uh, here, um, all, all around the world, in fact, there are uh, co-ops, energy cooperatives. We have a, a very um, amazing cooperative here called SolarShare, mm. headquartered here in Toronto. They've done a fantastic job in engaging the public, and, and we built projects and, and uh, for them, and people can buy bonds and invest in this. So, if they can't have solar on their own roof, they can still be part of the Fall momentum in, in making the the switch you know in, into a renewable um you know, future, which is arriving quickly.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and Leonard, speaking of shaking, um, as I warned you just while we were on the break before we came on, we've been talking a lot about uh, extreme weather. And it occurred to me, I was just lying up, you know, I, sort of the night before the show, I just sort of immersed myself and, and, and just sort of let my, you know, let my imagination go. And the yeah. thing that occurred to me was like, I was like, oh, I've never heard of anybody talking about the resilience mm. of renewable energy infrastructure to extreme weather, right? We talk about extreme weather being an example of climate change, and therefore we need renewable energy. But it it never occurred to me to think, like, are those, uh, you know, wind turbines or solar panels uh, being built to withstand extreme weather? Is this something – to what degree is is that sort of – that new normal being taken into account in the infrastructure that is being built now and tomorrow?
2: Yeah, they're built to uh, very high standards in terms of, you know, physical integrity to withstand weather. Uh, Mm -hmm. I can't speak so much for wind. um, But uh, from a solar perspective, I mean, there's been some awesome storms. Look what we're seeing right now. And there's lots of solar installed in those areas, we have um, a project, uh, in fact, in the island, in the island of Anguilla, just uh, the communications out, but I just sent an email yesterday asking for an update on how the project withstood the, uh, the effects of the hurricane. Um, but, you know, recently, back in May, there was an uh, unusually severe hailstorm in the uh, Denver area, and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in the U.S. has a 3,000-panel uh, solar installation right there. And there was cars with smashed windshields, golf ball-sized dents in people's roofs on their cars and their houses. Out of those 3,000 panels, one was broken. Wow. So these are designed to withstand very extreme events. And uh, there are groups who are working continually, engineering groups, on looking at you know what may they have to withstand going forward as climate changes. So constantly improving. Uh, But it is uh, not a concern of ours that we're going to put a – deploy a project and it's going to get blown away or destroyed by weather events here anyway. And, uh, you know, barring 300-kilometer-an-hour winds, and that's something that maybe uh, further design efforts have to be undertaken to support that.
0: Well, Nick, and I think the key thing here – we just have a minute left. I basically have uh, one more wrap-up question for you. But, uh, I mean, essentially the key there is what you have to do is you have to compare apples to apples, which is – Sure, some panels may break, but would you have that or a broken uh, oil pipeline? Like, would you rather have that or a broken energy well, east you, running
2: through a city? You use the word resiliency. If the oil, yeah. oil pipeline breaks, what's your, what's your fallback? You have no right. resiliency. Uh, right. Solar on your house combined with uh, battery storage. Um, you are highly resilient, and uh, so my house, for instance, um, if the power goes off, we don't even know it. So, uh, on that note, we have formed a program called Sunny Savings. Uh, our, our company has, in which we are looking to engage other people who want to establish a degree of resiliency and self-sufficiency, uh, likened back to the early uh, community groups that we did with Greenpeace. It's called Sunny Savings, and we're encouraging people in their neighborhoods to uh, to champion um, this initiative and uh, engage your neighbors and get it in your backyard where it belongs. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I have sort of a standard closing question when we have experts on the show, uh, Leonard, and, uh, um, and it's, it's essentially it's thus, which is, uh, is there a, either, either, you can go either way, is there either something you've learned recently that even for you, you found very surprising about your industry, or is there like a number one thing that you just like, here's your three seconds on, on you know, international radio, what's the number one thing you wish more people knew about solar? You can uh, take your choice of, of those.
2: Okay, well... <laughs> It's a combination of both, actually. How quickly it's developing! Mm. Uh, We've come. Everybody knows the sort of silver glass solar panel on a rooftop, but the fact is, there's incredible uh, research that's turning into commercial products now. The U of T has been involved in uh, research in uh, perovskites. They're called, which is the next another step in the development of solar cells. Is not silicon based, but they've gone from efficiency conversion of light to electricity of about four percent to over twenty two percent in only seven years. And that represents the quickest um, developing solar technology that we've ever seen. So the future is super bright for um, ever lower cost higher efficiency uh, generation that people can um, own and operate themselves if they wish.
0: Hooray for yeah. solar spills. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much again. We've been speaking to Leonard Allen, the president of Solara Sustainable Energies uh, Company, also uh, a speaker and a representative. We'll have links to your company website and so people can look you up on uh, the show. I was going to ask if
2: I could say my website. Please. Solera, please. Soleraenergies.com. And if you're going to link it on your, on your site, that would be fantastic. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you so much for your time. Larry. Appreciate being here. Thank you. All right. Okay. So uh, Megan is going to give us our second and final music break. And then Stefan's going to come back and help me talk about some of that extreme weather we were just talking about. We'll get into a little bit of her, uh, Hurricane Irma. Uh, and then with whatever time is remaining, we're going to play a little game uh, because I feel like talking about rhetoric today. So that, all that and more coming back on The Green Majority of Listening to CIT 89.5 FM, our wonderful partners, or the podcast. Megan, take it away. All right, we are back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am Saren Kaster in the studio with Stefan Hostetter. How are you doing? In case anyone didn't know his last name.
1: Exactly, yeah. Or in case you were incorrect in pronouncing my last name, like my brother is. Right.
0: <laughs> we don't have time to go into that again yes. today. That's a, that's a secret fact we'll come back to. <laughs> so, Stefan, we have about 16 minutes left. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about Irma for a minute, and then we'll play a little game. So go yeah, ahead. For sure. So uh,
1: so here's what we know. Uh, so last week, we had a conversation about how likely that, that we would not would have a second show uh, about mostly hurricanes. And mm. so there's uh, a... So there's not not to get into the entire sort of point of last week, but to, to update you on the information we do ha- currently have about Hurricane Irma is that it remains an extremely dangerous hurricane. Uh, it has been downgraded from Category Five to Category Four. Uh, so the wind speeds are now at 150 miles per hour instead of the 185 or 200 at one point. It was almost doing I don't know if it ever hit exactly 200. It was that it was. It is the strongest hurricane that's ever been in the Atlantic
0: Ocean. Right. It did pass that. The biggest wind. There's an ACE acronym. I don't remember what it stands for, but it basically is like wind speed per whatever blah blah but yeah it's the most it's it's by definition the by the way that they measure hurricanes yeah. it's the strongest one ever recorded
1: yeah well in atlantic ocean uh, oh, uh, there's, you, yes. I, I believe, there remains some stronger typhoons in the Pacific, mm. uh, but but yeah, it, it, it remains one of the strongest ever, including those typhoons. I think there's Haiyan and one other, or the two other really incredibly strong hurricanes or ty- hurricanes slash typhoons. They're the same thing um, that that have made landfall. But it is it, it there's like it has broken like six records. Like it's one of these things where it's like it, it, I think it had the longest sustained uh, had the longest sustained time of having 185 mile an hour winds or more than that. There's a whole bunch of things. It was sort of I've been following a couple different like weather people and they they like slowly got more and more terrified as the, as the, as the, as it sort of moved up the coast or towards, uh, towards land. And, and what's, and what's unbelievable about it is that it is, it is huge. It is, it is wider than all of Florida. Like it, if it goes up Florida, it will co- like it will co- It's, it's, it's absolutely massive. The storm is like, it's not just strong. It's also big which are like two different things to some extent. And it's, uh, and so it's already late made landfall in some of the, in some of the sort of the Island nations. Uh, most recently, uh, the, bah- the Bahamas national, uh, the Bahamas national emergency management agency, uh, st- started uh, hope are now currently worried that people are ignoring evacuation orders An evacuation order has was, was issued for Florida. Uh, obviously it's obvious. It's somewhat difficult. I think to, I don't exactly know where you evacuate to when you're on one of these Island nations. I understand the, like evacuation orders within Florida you just you and you head north and there were sort right. of videos of, of these people sort of trying to drive north as far as possible I don't actually know what evacuation orders on on, you, on you island, island nations is. do
0: you know what you don't do when there's hurricane warning on an island is get into a boat
1: exactly yeah so you I don't do that I presume I'm sure some of it is flying off into other places but it's but still it, this, this speaks to the level of which uh, there's a there's even a level of privilege to exist that when you're on the mainland you can actually move away from a storm whereas these island nations are truly the most at risk in many Many, many, ways, and so, and, and and what's perhaps more ridiculous about not more well yeah, sure. I don't think it more ridiculous or less ridiculous. I don't know if this scales here anymore,
0: but yeah, I think scales are just not a thing anymore.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's all hard to figure out because like there are two other hurricanes currently in the Atlantic Ocean. So not only is there the strongest hurricane, it is the first time since twenty ten that three hurricanes at all have existed in the Atlantic Ocean, and 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 jose is now na- and jose i believe has now been upgraded to a hurricane to a category four so this is these are two major hurricanes it's not expected Her- jose is not expected to make landfall so it will just sort of end up not a, it, it, it won't create the same kind of Although damage it's,
0: it's worth noting that that irma wasn't certain to re-hit landfall either no a week ago
1: no yes but it, i think the track was a little bit they've actually what's interesting actually is the following the track they predicted a week ago was roughly what it ended up falling at they've been very good at it, it, it's it's proof if anything i've been somewhat impressed by our ability to track weather uh because of how how Successfully consistent, they've been uh, been correct um, in the sort of general area where it's going. But right. meteorology is not climatology. Exactly, yes. much more precise. <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 so the, so not only is that the strongest hurricane. There is also the three hurricanes in the know, for the first time in six, in, I think, since 2010, seven years, and and two of them are incredibly strong, and these are if all of this is, is, is about what it's going to feel like living in this sort of world, then obviously we're in hurricane season. So this is when hurricanes happen. And it's not like it's just like this. I don't expect us to be doing this exact same show in, uh, you know, in, in the springtime or in other times when there's, when it's not directly when you expect hurricanes, but still the not fact, yet. <laughs> not yet, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, 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 that's the thing, right? It's like not only does warmer waters uh, make the hurricanes more likely to get stronger within the, the per- during the time of hurricane season, it also extends hurricane season, right? Everything about like, like everything about this sort of leads to this to these other issues and so yeah, and so like, so the island nations have been have already been hit. There's, a, there's an evacuation warning currently going on in Florida, and so the, the the real thing here is if you if for some reason you are listening to this podcast in Florida, very quickly, please pay attention to the to the information that your state is giving you, and and, and evacuate if you are in the in the line of the storm. Uh, if you know anyone, please make sure that they are doing that. Uh, this is not something to be taken lightly in any way, shape, or form. This this is a the, the category four and category five hurricanes are truly devastating hurricanes. These are things where where you expect that, you know, it's it's not just a oh you come back and you have to fix you know do little things. This, this could like I think by category five the winds speeds enough to actually blow over houses and some of the some of the actual footage from the places it's hit have truly show how dev- how devastating it can be, and so it's not something to be it's not something to be, ta- to be taken lightly, uh, and it's also something that is. Uh, that will consistently. This is. This, these are the things that are, that that we have to understand in a climate change world. Will we have to figure out? You have to figure out. Do you just abandon? No, no. You can abandon Florida. Obviously, there's two, almost 20 million people there. But it's. But how do you figure that out? How do we? How do we make our 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 our, our livelihoods? be able to withstand a, you know, a hundred year storm is now a 25 year storm, then everyone's living through at least two or three. And right. so this conversation entirely changes. So we, we have to figure out how we are, are surviving and, and, and what we are doing to make ourselves more resilient in all of our institutions. You know, again, as I mentioned last week, and this is uh, on, on the show about, about how, uh, about how people were worried in the flooding that was going on in Bangladesh and India about, about education. The same thing has as actually is hitting, is hitting Houston. There's a whole bunch of people who are, uh, who schools have been closed and, and that, and kids are being out of, uh, out of school. And these are the institutions that we are good and very good at actually creating um, and 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 in protecting uh, these systems, but not in a world where they're getting disrupted every 25 years. We just don't have that capacity. There's not a capacity to rebuild a school every 25 years. The, the, the schools are already strapped for cash. And so we have to – we really have to figure out what the state reaction is to these things. I think that we have to fundamentally figure – rethink how – we react to these major weather storms because we can't because the current option of well hope insurance companies cover it and then everyone gets in get and then let everyone else who gets hit by these things slowly uh try to rebuild their life and and maybe we'll give them thirty thousand dollars like that's not that's not enough in a world where this is happening and, and we can't afford it in like in their current system there's just not a way to make this
0: possible right I uh, well, I, I was just going to say, uh, you know, at least the Americans have a giant collection of tanks and planes. But, but, and so this is actually so this is actually a thought that I've had that I was I, that I, that I've
1: had for a bit of time, and I'm curious. And this is I there's a whole bunch of weird, weird weird ways where I think this will go could go wrong, but I actually am now when I think about it more, coming to the terms with I'm, I'm curious I'm curious how they avoid this, which is that in a in a in a world in a climate change world where there are multi you know where there are major hurricanes relatively consistently and and you know when you when this is great. This is great. Again, words are hard to use in this thing. It's a great photo, which like the photo objectively is great, but it's a photo of two guys golfing in front of the forest fires that are currently engulfing L.A. Just absolutely. And it's these two people just sort of putting in front of what looks like Mordor behind them. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, photo. I, think,
0: I think in the age of uh, social media and particularly Twitter, great just means impactful. Right. Right, sure. as opposed yeah. to positive.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 And and, and uh, uh, actually, I saw that qu- that, that the uh, the person who had posted it also was like, if ever there was a metaphor for what we're doing right now, it is this photo. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fair. Um, well, Donald Trump is the golfing president. Right. Exactly. Uh, but sorry, to quickly get back, so we can still have time for your game, is that what I what I'm waiting? F- what I don't understand, and what what I'm interested to see what happens, is that at some point, the I, I, I foresee a uh, a change in that. The only institution in the States which has the ability to consistently respond to the, uh, the number of, uh, of, of impacts that are ongoing um, is eventually going to be the military. At some point, the military is going to have to be was going to be used to be a part of these sort of construction efforts. There's just no other option. There's just you know if, if if two major hurricanes are hitting our U.S. cities are hitting U.S. cities every year, uh, which again isn't which isn't guaranteed, of course. But it, it, as these come as these happen more and more and more, that. Fa-
0: like th- that is going to be their job is going to be in part to respond to that. Well, yeah, their job, their job description is going to change. I mean, because who do you, who's the first responder? Right, it's it's the National Guard. Yeah, in the in the, talking in an American context, right. Right. So while FEMA is getting organized, while well, plans are being drawn up, while well, you know emergency management is doing the things that emergency management does, it's technically military are the first responders in a lot of cases i mean obviously there's local law enforcement and right. police and yeah. firefighters but they're often impacted too they're often crippled too so the people who come riding into the to the rescue is the only more is a mobilized force and the only mobilized force that we currently have any concept from in the western world is our military well and or, or really
1: have the money to do so right that's right. that's part of it is that is that like there's just all these other pieces of which you know we've created a society that that is, you know, Donald Trump is simultaneously cutting funding from FEMA right now. That's part of his goals, and 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 then and so as the as we as we crumble the rest of the institutions, the only institution that is left will be the military, and and it it is incredibly problematic to have the military be your be your responders. But I think it will it would it would sh- it could it will shift the way arguably the entire. Understanding of the military cones if if a majority of the work of uh, a percentage of the work the military is doing is being disaster relief force, mm. then there's a very very different connotation of uh, of what their work is, mm. and it it's gonna I think it's gonna there's a a coming fundamental reconciling with the concept of where we're half of our money that the United States spends is going to its military, which is then outside of its country. Uh, and they're just, you know, they're on military bases around the world. Whereas if they're getting hit by hurricane for hurricane, they're going to start looking inward. You have to start protecting, you to, like, or they'll just let, you know, this sort of these sort of things happen and let dead zones occur in the, in the places. But that doesn't, I, I feel it's much more likely that you're going to have to see the shift. And I I don't know what that means. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm just sort of like, I'm just putting it out there as a thought because it, it, to me it seems like it's an inevitability. That at some point, if you unless you unless you actually you know take money from the military and start actually funding FEMA, like you can avoid this if you if you want to. But I just don't see that happening, and so I see the only other option as eventually they'll be the ones to use the, the, the different Uh But I digress. You want to play a game? You have five minutes.
0: Right. Uh, so that essentially leads into my game because what I was thinking about on the way here, Stefan, was uh, you know like there has to be a rhetorical change, and it's not a tactics change. It's not a sense that like oh we have to change our tactics. Like we do, but it's not in the sense that we usually talk about tactical change. It's that you know. When when there's, when there's people who are resisting change, any type of change, this is very widely applicable, what I'm what I'm going to get into right now, uh, is is essentially is that you can only go so many logical steps ahead because every time you make a logical step, you're providing another opportunity for the person who's being resistant to sort of insert some assumptions, right? And so what I mean by that when we're talking about climate change was that, you know, it's been up to now much more effective to talk about, you know, climate change will lead to extreme weather uh, because the extreme weather was the next thing that was going to happen, right? Mm. It was the next thing. and. But now we're in that, right? Now we're, and this is sort of what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. Is you know now we're in the thing where it's it's ludicrous to suggest that there's not having an impact. No, but it's not. But, it, but but now is not the time to talk politics, right? I I, I don't see
1: why like your time. You're not to, to politicize these storms. We need to we need to make sure they're on the ground. We need to make sure that we are that the people there are safe. And then maybe when that's done, we can talk about. It. We, you you're, stop trying to politicize this. <laughs>
0: you're getting ahead of the game. Right. <laughs> I like where your head's at. That's exactly what we want to do. So uh, so what we have. My point is now is that now we're at the thing where okay, well extreme weather's here, so now we have to talk. About deaths, right? So, when you're talking, when we're in a politician, when you're dealing with a hostile person and it's on camera, somewhere where somebody other than the person you're talking to is going to benefit from, because this is going to be not constructive for the person you're talking to. You're going to make them defensive. So, this is not about convincing them. This is about you making an example out of them, uh, which is that, you know, we have to talk about, you know, someone's pushing. Uh, something or saying, oh, we shouldn't fund this climate change program or this is going to be too onerous on our oil industry. But like, you are going to have blood on your hands. This is you are killing people with your decision. That's we can be there now and we can take that step. That step was always rhetorically there, but it was it was dismissed as extreme because we were having to go through the loop of, well, you have to already accept that there's extreme weather and that extreme weather allowed, they, that gave them an out at the extreme weather. Well, now we have the extreme weather, again, in a sense that it's undeniable. And so now I think we have to start talking about blood on people's hands. You are killing people with that decision and so uh as part of that rhetorical thing the quick little game would just do really fast uh someone says if i do that Stefan, your your policy is you know your prevention of climate change is is is, you know you're going to kill people (laughs) the (laughs) pretend to be
1: brad wall right right um well there's just there's there's no way that you can that you can directly you know the, the The fact that we, what we need is what we need there's not there's not a question like' there's, uh, the, the, to be fair there's a complete argument here to be made in that while while yes we need, we need to address climate climate change right now, but there are people who are suffering right now because they don 't have enough energy and they are suffering right now because because they can't afford to to live and so I think that those people's lives are just as important as the, or if not or and for these hypothetical people who are, you are like you know who who the stream weather's going to happen anyways i just don't see why that's necessarily you know why 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 should we have, we need to be as prepared as possible, and being prepared as possible
0: includes ensuring that we have access to cheap energy right so the long term is the, the idea here essentially is that you know people will try and find other ways to do stuff but you have to essentially use somebody's language that they're talking about on them because one of the biggest rhetorical problems that happens is that if you start going in and sort of presenting all this information that information for debate and so the most effective way to deal with somebody who's hostile is to essentially just work with essentially you should be thinking of this as a there's the very well practiced police interrogation technique which is that you don't offer information you ask questions and then you you use those questions sort of to be like, "Oh, but you just said this, how does that apply to this other thing? So the response to that essentially would be is, is that those are people who are victims of not making this decision earlier, so what you 're saying is that we should allow to make this problem worse and that, and essentially to go back on itself and so another common uh, thing would be, well, you know the science isn 't uh, completely clear yet. Well, the scientists are clear. Are you claiming there 's a conspiracy? <laughs> right yeah. and so you essentially you, the point is to try and pin them down to a position uh, we are essentially out of town now we'll have to go off the air but let's we'll keep going let's play this a little bit yeah, more in the totally. bonus show yeah. uh, because I think there's more to be had here but essentially my, my message for the day was it is now I think appropriate to start talking about pe- blood on people's hands when they are talking about fighting climate action uh, because it's true uh, but I think it's a lot more undeniable now and I think that's re- where some of our rhetoric needs to be in some situations mm-hmm. not with not with Joe or Peggy Sue down the street uh, but with politicians absolutely mm-hmm. uh, that is where we'll have to leave it for the main show thank you for listening to this week's edition of the green majority we've been on an emotional roller coaster today (laughs) we've been learning we've been congratulating ourselves and we've been uh weeping for the future um this will be our show added phantom at this point uh because i think all three of those things will continue to happen yeah uh thank you for listening to the green majority have a good green week stay tuned for the bonus show if you're listening to the podcast and uh, otherwise take care